Radio Rounds, the podcast series specifically for physicians and healthcare professionals, presented by St. Louis Children's Hospital. Devastating consequences of the opioid epidemic are seen every day by providers. Here to give us an update is my guest, Dr. Jacob Aubuchon. He's a Washington University pediatric pain management specialist at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Aubuchon, I'm so glad to have you with us today to give us this update. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with the opioid epidemic today. What are we seeing that's any different? You know, this has been prevalent in the media for the last, you know, five years specifically. And in the last few years, we've started to really address this and come up with different strategies. But what what the general landscape is, is these are high-powered pain medications that still have clear indications but have run into problems leading to addiction or more appropriately termed uh, opiate use disorder. And that's where we've run into problems, that patients stay on these for a period of time and then get uh, dependent on them and starting to have uh, addiction symptoms to these. So that that's uh, the opiate epidemic in a nutshell. Thank you for that. Then what are the indications for opioid pain medication and what have been the parameters and guidelines for the prescription in the past and what's different now as you guys are looking at this epidemic and trying to be good stewards for pain management? Tell us a little bit about the parameters. First and foremost, there's still clear indications for these medications. There's still gold standard treatments for severe, short-lived, or acute pain. So if somebody has had a surgery, uh, especially a major surgery or a major traumatic event, a major bone break in an arm or a leg, it's still appropriate to use opiates. Uh, But it's better to tie these to improving recovery after a surgery or traumatic event. For example, if you're going to prescribe this, having it used to facilitate physical therapy or getting out of bed is the most appropriate use of these these medications. In the last few years, what we've tried to do, though, knowing that there's risk of these, is educate providers about not allowing lingering days or doses of these medications outside of what we would expect the the normal severe pain to last. We know that that across the country, one of the biggest problems is that after surgery, that instead of prescribing a few days or a week's worth of opioid pain medication, that's lasted months. You know, they, they were given a prescription for, for 90 pills, for example, or 90 doses. And that leads to a lot of leftover medication sitting in medicine cabinets that that are are available to anybody strolling through the home if they're not appropriately locked up. So then how do you assess the risk and, and, and addressing the harms of opioid use? Give us some stats over abuse and misuse and how you are now using some strategies to mitigate that risk. So about 10% of high school seniors on a national survey have admitted to using an opioid pain medication illicitly. So that leaves patients just using these medications in, in order to receive a high. And we know that about four out of five heroin users start off with a prescription opiate pain medication. So all of these have led to the adolescent death rate from opioid overdose uh, increasing to about 450% over the last you know, decade to two decades. So what would you tell other providers about some of the other options that you can use even post-surgery or just past that? What would you like them to know about some of the other options out there for pain management? Sure. And to get back one of your questions, um, screening, there are sc- validated screening techniques that you can use to to establish risk of substance use disorder and specifically opioids uh, for different ages and even for adults. So first, establishing what their risk is for substance use or opiate use disorder. 
Second, educating or going over expectations with patients and families, I think sits at the top of the list. That you know, if somebody has a major surgery or has a major traumatic event, we are unlikely to ever achieve complete pain relief, especially in the first few days after surgery. So expectation management can go a long way. And if you are going to prescribe opioid pain medication, you should be always linking that, if appropriate, if clinically appropriate, to acetaminophen and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in order to reduce the number of or the amount of opioid pain medication. Other techniques that we've used and increased over the last five to 10 years at St. Louis Children's have been doing more nerve blocks and more non-opioid pain medication in addition to Tylenol and uh, things like ibuprofen, uh, such as, as gabapentin prior to surgery or even for a few days after very painful surgery or different muscle relaxants that don't have the same addictive potential as opioid pain medication. So that's really interesting, Dr. Abishanan, to tell us about some of those other options out there. But when you do have to prescribe opioids, what's involved in that selection, dosage, duration, follow-up, and discontinuation? How do you follow up with patients about that? So we've been mostly talking about what to do in the acute setting for for surgery and for traumatic events. And the biggest piece of advice, in addition to governing expectations, is to, to limit the dose. Uh, actually, in the state of Missouri and across the nation, even pharmacies and state legislation will limit the amount you can prescribe on that that initial prescription after a traumatic event. And usually that's seven days, and that actually the legislation may change or the pharmacies may change to get even a lower amount of days, maybe in three to five days. The big thing about that is you're going to be limited, but giving patients appropriate expectations on what to do and limiting the amount that you give is a reasonable strategy because you can always refill the medication. And that way, at least you're erring on the side of them using more of the complete prescription with less leftover medication. The other thing that I would want to stress that can really reduce the risk of people abusing these medications out in the community is storing the opioids after a surgery and then dispose of them in an FDA-approved fashion um, after they're done using them. So would you counsel other providers to counsel their patients, the parents of their patients, about what you just stated about storage and disposal, and if their child doesn't need them anymore, to get rid of them or give them back to the doctor, whatever it is? Absolutely, and I want to empower all the community physicians and whatever disciplines that do prescribe some opioid pain medication to counsel those patients on appropriate stores. We're just locking up the medicine uh, in medicine cabinets while they're still using it after being prescribed. And then the at the top, the, the very best thing you can do for disposing is actually taking it back to an FDA-approved uh, take-back program or facility, or they often do annual or biannual take-back programs throughout the community. And that, that's first tier. Second tier is actually they recommend either to flush these medications if they're on the FDA flush list or to dispose of them mixed in an undesirable substance such as coffee grounds or kitty litter and throwing them away in household trash after scratching off the out the uh, prescription um, bottle and throwing that away too. Wow, good suggestions all. And as we wrap up, give us some take-home points for other providers about not hesitating to ask for guidance from you if patients are on long-term opioids and what you would like them to know as an update on the epidemic and what we can expect to see. 
So mainly that opiates still have clear indications for acute short-lived pain and even, even end-of-life or cancer pain. Where we get into trouble is if we're prescribing it for chronic non-cancer pain. And that's when I would, would ask the community physicians or anybody in these situations to, to just reach out and consult our pain management team so we can, in addition to pharmacologic strategies, we can add in non-pharmacologic approaches like physical therapy and psychology in order to address these, these chronic pain patients because that's where the evidence shows we get the most benefit is using these interdisciplinary approaches with physical therapy, physical functioning, psychology, and limiting the amount of opioid pain medications. Certainly the adjuvant therapies are so important in this epidemic and thank you so much, Dr. Abishan, for coming on with us and explaining what's going on today and giving other providers that referral service so that they can ask you questions about this. And that wraps up this episode of Radio Rounds with St. Louis Children's Hospital. To consult with a specialist or learn more about services and resources available at St. Louis Children's Hospital, please call Children's Direct Physician Access Line at 1-800-678-HELP or head on over to our website at stlouischildrens.org for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you as a provider found this podcast informative, please share. Share on your social media, share with other providers, and be sure not to miss all the other fascinating podcasts in our library. Until next time, this is Melanie Cole.